Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 9th of November, 2020. It's a Monday. Welcome to the Monday Pump, brothers. (laughs) Holy crap. And I'm not even looking at the at the Bitcoin price right now. I'm actually looking at futures. And we will get to that when we do vital statistics. But first, a message from your friend, Joe Rogers. That's at underscore Joe Rogers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S, who is reminding us that the October issue of Bitcoin Words is out. That would be Words the Bitcoin Journal. You can find that at bitcoinwords.github.io. The October Journal has the following in the table of contents. It's two of three inputs using pay to taproot, thinking beyond BitMEX DLCs, the way of the digital citadel snarks and the future of blockchains, the intrinsic value of Bitcoin, part two, Introducing CBEI, a new way to measure Bitcoin network electrical consumption. Bitcoin as an antidote to despair, a psychological formulation. Home on the range. Oh. There are so many of us Bitcoiners that want land and just want to get the, get the hell out of the cities. And I don't know, hang out with animals and shit. Tell you more about animals in a moment if I remember. Uh, visualization of the having supply shock. Bitcoin and the Rhythms of History, and Bitcoin at 12. Joe, you're doing the God's work over there, man. Uh, this is the October 2020 journal. It's, you, you gotta go, you gotta go and do this. Now, also, what seems to be new to Bitcoin Words is the addition of the ability to donate to read one of the, uh, uh, to read and download one of the monthly, you know, publications, like, you know, the November publication, the October publication. You don't have to. Joe's keeping it free for now. Um, I hope he can move over at one point or another to a completely, um, you know, supported journal. But we're all, at this point, we're all sort of like monks. So many of us are spending so much of our time, our our potential treasure I think we'll all be rewarded in the end. But I mean, there there are people that are like, could literally be making, you know, six figures a year and they're not doing it because they want to be here working for shit. And that's okay. I mean, that's how, that's how movements start. Nobody paid the people from the, you know, American Revolution to start the American Revolution. People did that because they were fed the hell up, man. Same thing here. There are thousands of people that could be making like, buku amounts of of money in like you know traditional finance and they've just had enough they've had enough and we're do we're doing stuff like this joe's doing you know the words the bitcoin journal and you know i i want to support joe anyway but the way that he's doing that is with a i looks to me like it's a lightning network or a lightning url and using the lightning network 
So you have the option to read the journal and, and do it through a paywall, or you can, he just lets you go right around the paywall and you can read it for free. So you can do it either way, but if you got the Satoshis, then, you know, you might want to pile on, you know, pile a little bit in, in Joe's direction, because again, he, he's doing the Lord's work over there. <coughs> uh, what was I going to say about this? Um, oh, I had it in my head and now I forgot. Anyway, Bitcoin words, go, go check it out. Now it, it, it appears in, uh, further news in the uh, community, it appears that, uh, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision the oft-loved coin of Craig Wright, has a new feature. Uh, Aaron Zhao has, has announced this on November the 7th. He says, stop using multi-sig accumulator feature in Electrum SV 1.3.7 immediately. Script double aught can unlock directly someone's stolen 600 BSV of mine. Oh, I'm so sorry, Aaron. Maybe if you weren't shitcoining, you wouldn't have this problem. So what the hell is he talking about? Well, let's let Crypto Potato tell us all about it. Martin Young is going to do the write-up on this one. And this is from yesterday. A bug in a multi-signature script for Bitcoin SV has been exploited, resulting in the potential loss of coins, though no actual investors lost money. <laughs> okay, Martin, whatever, dude. But... Okay, let's just get into it. The exploit was reported by Blockstream co-founder Gregory Maxwell, uh, aka user slash null C on Reddit, and retweeted by crypto podcaster Ruben Sompson. Uh, and there's a tweet here that says, multi-sig bug in BSV exploited funds stolen. BSV ripped out the existing multi-sig, the P2SH, and replaced it with a threshold script that was supposed to accept X number of sig signatures or more, but instead accepted X or less, including zero. Oh my God. Ooh. Oh, the pay to script hash was deprecated as part, as part of BSV's Genesis upgrade in February of 2020. It had been replaced with this new threshold base script, which was supposed to accept more than a set of number of signatures as explained by cryptographer adam back the bug created a quote less than or equal to instead of greater than or equal to number of signatures in the multi-sig which resulted in the exploit quote presume they removed the standard p2sh multi-sig and replaced with this bugged homebrew multi-sig due to bsv anti-soft fork posturing to undo soft forks end quote maxwell elaborated that the result was that these scripts had no security at all and could just be spent by a script that sets it to zero valid signatures. He added that no real funds were lost and that the flaw was likely accidental rather than malicious. Quote, so of course, zillions of BSV have been taken. Even though there was nothing of value lost here, <laughs> there are probably a few lessons to extract from this. Quote, <clears throat> or rather, end quote. He said that there had been a lack of testing in the situation, or sorry, he said that there had been a lack of testing and the situation would have been avoided, avoided entirely had BSV not ripped out the component time-tested and highly peer-reviewed mechanisms for multi-sig by Bitcoin in favor of far less efficient homebrew crypto, end quote. Maxwell discovered a similar, similar potential attack vector on Bitcoin SV 
in late 2019 that could have been executed to steal unsplit funds of BTC users on the Bitcoin SV chain after the Genesis upgrade. And then they go into a BSV price update, but nobody gives a shit. And I think, I think Martin Young may be laboring under this thing that was said by uh, Adam Back, uh, or, or rather see, uh, Maxwell saying that uh, no real, nothing of value was really lost here. I think somebody's got their 600 coins you know, taken. To them, it was valuable. To the rest of us, we know it's a complete shit show, so of course there's no real value. But I think Martin, when he said uh, no actual investors lost money, I think he's laboring under, you know, I think he's laboring under an assumption that is, that is wrong. Uh, yeah, people lost money, even though it's a shit show and it's not worth anything. So yeah, don't let that shit confuse you. Also, run a full note today. A run a full Bitcoin node, run a full lightning node, do what you can. It's not that expensive. I got one. I got a Raspi 4 and a one terabyte SSD hard drive. And I'm looking at it right now sitting on my desk. Why? Because it's tiny. It's a tiny little thing. It's so cute and fluffy. Oh, meow. Anyway, run a, a full node today. And if you don't know how, then this guide is going to help your ass. All right. So BTC Times, Will Heisman is writing this. It says, this one-stop guide makes you a Bitcoin full node owner. Oh my God, it's November the 8th is when he wrote this thing. Many of us dabble with Bitcoin, but seldom actually get our hands dirty in the nitty gritty. Yet that's often where the benefits lie. Hosting your own Bitcoin node, for example, not only steadies and decentralizes the network, but it can confer greater user privacy and security. <clears throat> Pardon me. For the less technical among us, however, running a node can be a daunting undertaking. Fortunately, there's a guide for that. And then right here is a tweet that they've embedded from Bitcoin Q&A. It says, <clears throat> pleased to announce the launch of node.guide, a site for prospective node runners to help them understand the why and then guide them through the different options. I've included links to set up videos, documentation pages, recommended hardware, costings, and more. It's an interesting way to put that. Anyway, so node.guide outlines the ins and outs of running a Bitcoin node from which software to use to which prefabricated hardware is available and even how to DIY and build a node from scratch. The site goes into detail on all three options and even lays out a comparison of their basic features, including hardware compatibility and whether they support Lightning. Quote, I created the guide to first answer the why of running a node, pseudonymous node.guide creator Bitcoin Q&A told the BTC Times. It's not always clear to Bitcoin newcomers why running one is important. Quote, the second reason was to create a single hub that showcased all of the different options and features of each implementation. Currently, the information is very fragmented, and unless you know what you're looking for, it's difficult to know where to start. Thank God for people like I'm the, like I said, man, you know what Michael Saylor calls people in this space, Bitcoin, like the cyber hornets and shit. I'm thinking of monks. I really am. People like this who are just sitting down and spending their time and treasure to tell you how to do shit for free, essentially. You better suck it up while it lasts, man, because pay to play is coming. I guarantee it. In short, a Bitcoin node hosts and syncs a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain. A node validates transactions and blocks and otherwise keeps the network decentralized and operational. Globally, distributed nodes are the reason behind Bitcoin's 99.98% uptime. 
For those looking to disintermediate further, hosting a node confers other advantages such as security and privacy, allowing users to verify their own transactions rather than leave the task to another network participant. The most common and popular approach to running a node is Bitcoin Core. Running a node using Bitcoin Core is as simple as downloading Core's Bitcoin client on a laptop or computer. Bitcoin Core offers an intuitive and simplistic UI enabling the user to send, receive, and verify transactions via their own node. However, the guide does not or does note that to validate transactions using an external wallet that's separate from the Bitcoin Core provided wallet, the device running the node needs to be operational 24 7. Yeah, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every week, every month, every year, all, all the time. Okay. So the latest to jump on the node running bandwagon is business intelligence firm MicroStrategy. After investing almost half a billion dollars and getting a shit ton of money out of it already, uh, the firm has confirmed that its faith in the cryptocurrency has no boundaries. Quote, MicroStrategy has been running a full node of Bitcoin Core version 0 0.2, 0 0.1 for over a month now. We are thrilled to do our part to support the growth of Bitcoin, tweeted MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor. Uh, for Bitcoin Q&A, however, it's MicroStrategy's actions, not words, that matter most. Quote, it's great that big corporations are raising awareness with nodes, although I'm skeptical, skept, yeah, skeptical as to whether MicroStrategy are actually using their nodes. That's the important thing. Merely having one running doesn't help much. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I think it does help. I think it helps in routing and, and securing the network. You know, clearly, if you're not using your own node with, you know, with your own wallet, if you're making transactions, yeah, you, that it would be even more helpful. But to say that it's, or to go around thinking that it's not helpful just to run a node, I don't know. I, w I wouldn't advise it. Why? Because it's cheap. I mean, honestly, you know, if you're run if you're going to download Bitcoin Core and run it on a laptop or like a, a PC or like a, a, a desktop computer, to keep that sucker running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, especially if you've got like a workhorse machine, especially one with like a big graphics card in it or something, that's a lot of electricity to blow to run a, a, a node. And you don't have to do that. That's why I, that's why I chose running a, a Raspberry Pi 4. It has minimal electricity usage. It hardly ever gets hot. It's like compact. It's, it, it, just it, it it just sits there and it just runs all the time. The only time that my node gets downtime is when I'm upgrading uh, the Bitcoin Core software through the uh, the gentleman over at my node. That's the people that I use now. So this node dot guide. <clears throat> let's see what it looks like. Um, looking at the page at node dot guide and oh wow, it's not an HTTPS site. Oh man, bummer, dude. Well, it's just a I'm not going to worry about it right now. Maybe that's something he'll change in the future and get this thing secured. But for right now, it's not secured. But this is <clears throat> the Bitcoin node guide. Your node, your rules, bitches. It doesn't actually say bitches. But, uh, so why run a node? A node is a computer that runs the Bitcoin software. Your node is your own version of the Bitcoin blockchain and rule set. And then he goes on. And we get down into considerations and says, when choosing which type of node you want to run, there are many things that you should consider. First and foremost is your budget and technical abilities. Here are some other questions to answer before making an informed decision. And there are six questions. These are good. What do you need from a node? What features are you actually going to use? 
Which wallets do you want to connect to your node? What hardware does your chosen project support? What level of support slash community is there? Is the project being actively developed and maintained? And then it goes into types of nodes. So it, is, your pro, like, is your project missing? Please create an issue and we'll check you out. So if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're not included in this list, you got to get a hold of Bitcoin, was it Bitcoin Q&A and get your project rolled into this thing. But uh, Bitcoin Core <clears throat> is just Bitcoin Core. And it gives you, it, like I can click on Bitcoin Core and it takes me right to bitcoincore.org and I can do all this stuff. So if I go down the list, there's also plug and play. So there's MyNode1, Nodal, or Nodal1 plus Nodal Dojo, the Raspi Blitz, and Start9 Embassy. In the, D, in the do-it-yourself uh, category, we have MyNode, the Raspi Blitz, Ronin Dojo, and Umbral. And then there are other options. Android is AB, AB Core and Nayuta Core. And then there's a, like a custom options that has just a whole bunch more options. Anyway, this would be if you're like thinking about running a node and you don't know where to start, this seems to be a good place to start. Okay. Cause I can go like over to, let's see the node guide for, cause like at the top there's, you know, there's an about button, there's a core, there's a plug and play button, there's a DIY other and compare. So if I go over to core, it gives me everything that I need and all the links that I need to help set up Bitcoin core. If I go to DIY, it's the same thing. It tells me everything that I need to know and gives me links to all the relevant places that I need to go get my shit. All right. Start here. Again, that's node.guide, node, N-O-D-E dot guide, G-U-I-D-E. Go there today. Get a node up and running, dude, before you shoot yourself in the head like New Jersey just did. Jeez, God. People's, I don't know why people just refuse to be smart about the future, but Marie Juliet, writing for Cointelegraph, says that New Jersey follows in its neighbor's state's footsteps with a crypto license bill. Yeah, they're following New York. They don't want anybody there. They want to make sure that every, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, the way that New York and New Jersey are acting, I kind of wonder if they want to turn it into a prison, like escape from New York. But with a new Senate bill on the table, New Jersey is getting closer to introducing a state-level licensing framework for crypto firms. The New Jersey Senate is set to consider the new bill Introduced on November the 5th, the new Senate bill or Digital Asset and Blockchain Technology Act has been sponsored by the Democratic Party Senator for New Jersey's 35th Legislative District, Nellie Poo, or I don't know how to pronounce it, P-O-U, that's her, her name, or his, I don't whatever. S-3132 is now pending a referral to the Senate Commerce Committee. The Senate bill follows the introduction of the same legislation to New Jersey's General Assembly earlier this year and the latter's subsequent referral to the Assembly Appropriations Committee. The bill proposes that all digital asset businesses must already be licensed or at least have filed a license application in order to legally conduct business activities with or on behalf of a resident of the state. Oh, weaponizing your citizenry even further. Thank you, New Jersey. That's, that's going to be really great. Alternatively, digital asset business activities may be deemed legal in New Jersey if the business participants are already licensees in another state with which New Jersey has a reciprocity agreement. 
The New Jersey license for crypto firms will mandate activities that include issuing digital assets, offering digital asset exchange services, borrowing and lending digital assets, and storing, holding, and maintaining custody of said digital assets on behalf of others. The latter licensing requirement excludes entities that are already regulated custodians of the United States, such as banks, trusts, and broker-dealers. Any person or entity that conducts activities without a license or pending license application would be liable to a penalty of $500 per day because we hate you. As previously reported, New Jersey's neighbor state of New York is well known for its idiocy and exacting state-level license framework for crypto businesses, known as the shit license. Oh, sorry. No, that would be the bit license. New York's license is this year set to be updated for the first time in almost five years. So I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder if they're going to light, like, you know, light their citizens on fire after pouring gasoline over them. Why do you hate your people so much? Honestly, I mean, are you really this terrified? I was at, I was, okay. I was on uh, Mr. Sue's uh, show yesterday where we were having a chat and I asked him, you know, we were talking about shit like this and I asked him flat out, you know, would you want to call, you know, call somebody a friend who is just 100% driven to control the lives of other people? Would you go get a beer with this person? Fuck no, you wouldn't. That kind of person should, that kind of person should give you the willies. That should be the person that, that, I mean, I wouldn't want to hang out with a serial murderer in prison. I'd want to get as far away from that bastard as possible. On the flip side, I don't, I wouldn't want to hang out with people that are just hell bent to control people. I don't, and I, I don't even know what to say about it because all of us have allowed the, that very same person multiplied by tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times to actually exist in control. How the hell did we come out of the trees and the first thing we did is say, dude, control my life, please. You know, this shit's got to end. I'm just saying, man. All right, so another mysterious Satoshi-era Bitcoin move. This time it's $30 million in the transfer. So... Uh, Matthew DeSalvo is going to tell us about it in Decrypt or from Decrypt.co and says, Bitcoin worth over $30 million that had previously been sitting around in idle wallets awakened this weekend in four transactions. Satoshi era Bitcoin moved for the first time Friday when 50 coins now worth over $70,000 moved to a single address. It previously hadn't been touched since 2010. The same thing happened last night when another previously untouched sleeping 50 Bitcoin were moved. Just seven hours later, 20 wallets moved a total of 1,000 Bitcoin worth $15.5 million to a single address. And today, the exact same thing happened again. 20 wallets holding 1,000 Bitcoin moved to a single address, bringing the total of Bitcoin awakened, and that's in quotes, to $32.6 million. It isn't clear who moved the Bitcoin, thank God or why they decided to transfer it to another address, but the Satoshi-era coins were mined back in 2010 when the currency was worth peanuts. Crypto trader Kirill Kretov flagged the move on LinkedIn. He told Decrypt that the Bitcoin possibly moved because the current price of Bitcoin is, quote, good enough to sell some portions of the holdings, end quote. He added, quote, but surely I can't know what it is in the head of such a true hodler. 
I guess it's hard for them to travel due to various metal detectors. Hmm. That's interesting. End quote. I wonder if he's making a jab at gold. I don't know. Satoshi era Bitcoin refers to coins mined when Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto was still communicating with the crypto world. Nakamoto's identity is still unknown. Yeah, we know that. If the owner of the coins moved yesterday <clears throat> were to sell them now, the profits would be astronomical. In 2010, one Bitcoin was worth less than 10 cents. Oh, God, I wish I had. Today, the cryptocurrency is trading for $15,342, according to CoinMarketCap. This isn't the first time this year Bitcoin that had previously been collecting dust has been moved. Last month, $11.4 million worth of Bitcoin was moved. It had also been sitting in, <clears throat> in an idle wallet since 2010. All right. <clears throat> so what is, you know, what's the crew saying about all this? I've got various people commenting on this stuff in, in, my, uh, in my Twitter feed. You know, it, it could be that somebody's selling it over the counter. Because institutional investors are piling in. There's also people that are suggesting that they're just moving it to a BEC32 address or, you know, SegWit and stuff like that. So that if they were to start moving those coins around, uh, you know, in the future, that it would cost less because it's a hell of a lot less to do, do it through SegWit. Other people are commenting that it may just be that somebody wants to rotate their keys, you know, and, and like have a fresh set of keys. Who knows why? The whole point is, is that we don't know why. I don't want to know why. That's the whole, one of the things that I got into this entire world for was the fact that you don't know it's me moving shit. And even if you did, you don't know why, because you can't, you, hopefully you can't find me. I don't know. It's, it's weird to watch, but it's not surprising because think about it this way. Did you expect them to, to stay silent forever? No, that's just bullshit. I mean, people are going to start moving coins around. So, you know, be ready for the FUD because I guarantee you it's coming. Uh, veteran investor Bill Miller, ah, oh, Miller time, bro, says every major investment bank will own Bitcoin or something like it. So Coindesk's Nathan DiCamillo or Camillo is writing this on November the 7th and says mutual fund legend Bill Miller told CNBC Friday that the risks of Bitcoin going to zero are, quote, lower than they've ever been before, end quote, and predicted more institutional investment in the cryptocurrency. Okay, before I continue this, let me get a drink of coffee here. Hold on. <clears throat> Mutual fund legend, Bill Miller. Legend. Legendary. Let's be completely honest. Nobody ever heard of uh, Michael Saylor before he bought Bitcoin. Nobody ever heard of Paul Tudor Jones, okay? I Maybe some of y'all actually knew who these people were. But I, I had, I, I didn't know about any of these people. And I sure as shit have no freaking clue who Bill Miller is. <clears throat> I'm sure he's a legend. I've been told so by Nathan D. Camillo. So let's go with total legend, all right? Quote, the Bitcoin story is very easy. It's supply and demand, Miller said. Bitcoin supply is growing around 2.5% a year and the demand is growing faster than that. End quote. Finally, somebody who just goes old school supply and demand. Nice. When he was managing the Leg Mason Capital Management Value Trust Fund. Oh, that's a mouthful. Miller beat the S&P 500 for 15 years. He's now 
Chief Investment Officer at Miller Value Partners in December of 2017, Miller revealed that his MVP1 hedge fund had half of its investments in Bitcoin. What? Wait, in December of 2017? I don't remember that story. Okay, this is interesting. On Friday, Miller warned of inflation coming back with the Federal Reserve gunning the money supply and future fiscal relief coming from Congress. Yeah, you bet it is. Get those printers. Following MicroStrategy's purchase of $425 million in Bitcoin, Square's $50 million Bitcoin investment, and PayPal's support of crypto buying and selling on its platform, Miller said every major investment bank and high net worth firm will eventually have exposure to Bitcoin or commodities like gold. He added that Bitcoin, <coughs> sorry, Bitcoin has performed well over the past three, five, and 10-year periods. Miller, who serves on the investment committee for the endowment of Baltimore-based John Hopkins University, said that the endowment's chief investment officer told him that, quote, everybody is going to want, want to own at least some Bitcoin because of its asymmetric properties. Quote, the endowment may never own Bitcoin, Miller said, yet, quote, for a college endowment, that's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it, as Baltimore burns to the ground, Johns Hopkins, still one of the leading universities, academic institutions and universities in the world, the endowment officer says, you should probably get some Bitcoin. <laughs> this is just getting silly, man. So let, let's bring it back down to a little bit more techie stuff. <clears throat> Not so pie in the sky. Blockstream upgrades Taproot compatible Bitcoin multisig. This is the way you do multi-sig. It certainly isn't the way BSV does multi-sig. We all agree on that. Nick Chong writing it for btctimes.com sometime November the 6th. Last month, the Bitcoin improvement proposals <clears throat> pertaining to the integration of Taproot and Schnorr signatures were merged into the Bitcoin Core GitHub. As the BTC Times reported, 150 core developers approved the merge after seven weeks of review following a merge request first created by Peter Woola. Snore and Taproot are cryptographic technologies that will improve on-chain scalability and privacy for Bitcoin and further boost Bitcoin's ability to facilitate smart contracts. While the upgrade is not yet integrated, Blockstream's researchers Jonas Nick and Tim Ruffing on Wednesday unveiled a Taproot-compatible Bitcoin multi-signature standard called MuSig2, M-U-S-I-G, and the number 2. In Bitcoin, the multi-sig system is one where multiple private keys must sign a transaction for it to be authorized and broadcast. Multi-signature is often seen as more secure than single signature schemes due to transactions requiring multiple parties to agree. In 2018, Blockstream unveiled MuSig, a multi-signature standard for Bitcoin inspired by related exchange in the Bitcoin Wizards IRC channel back in 2013. MuSig focuses on offering approvable security to counteract colluding subsets of malicious signers, as Blockstream's Andrew Polestra explained. From its first release onwards, Musig built on Blockstream's conviction that Bitcoin would eventually switch from its current signature scheme, ECDSA, to the more efficient Schnorr signatures. In combination with Schnorr signatures, Musig multi-signature transactions would be indistinguishable from transactions using a single signature. Yeah, baby. MuSig 2 is an iteration of MuSig and removes one of the pain points of the original system. MuSig requires three rounds of communication between signers, which means higher transaction fees and longer transaction times are being incurred. As the researchers explain, quote, if MuSig 1 
were used to forward payments in the Lightning Network, privacy would be improved, but the payment would take noticeably longer. This problem gets worse as communication latency increases. A MuSig1 signing device stored in a safety deposit box requires two visits from its owner before it can create a signature, end quote. With each Bitcoin transaction taking approximately 10 minutes to receive one confirmation, such process of sending a transaction with MuSig becomes arduous for those involved. MuSig2 fixes this. Ah. By introducing non-interactive signing, signers of MuSig2 transaction need only two rounds of communication to create a signature. One round of com, commu- oh, sorry, communication does not need to take place as long as the signers know what they want a transaction to contain. Quote, it offers the same functionality and security as MuSig1, but makes it possible to eliminate almost all interaction between signers. With MuSig2, signers only need two rounds of communication to create a signature, and crucially, one of these rounds can be pre-processed before signers know the message that they want to be signed, the researchers wrote. So, there you go. Uh, It goes on a little bit further, but MuSig2 is on the way, but we won't get it until Taproot and Schnorr are safely part of and active in the Bitcoin code and approved in the whole thing. Because it's there in the code. It's in like, you know, the, either the last update or this next update, Schnorr and Taproot will be there, right? But it's not active on the network until it becomes activated. So be clear on that. Hey, let's run the numbers. The future is now. Futures and commodities, cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities, showing that everything's going to be all right. Dude, check this shit out. Oil is up 8.5%. That's not, yeah, that 8.5%, right? Think about that. So that's West Texas Intermediate. It now all of a sudden costs $40.33 to buy a barrel of that shit. Brent North Sea is at $42.54. That is a 7.83% to the upside. I don't know what natural gas is doing. It's not showing, I'm not getting any data out of the feed on that one. But gold is down 1.8%, which I find a little odd, but whatever. Uh, $1,914.90 for an ounce of gold. Silver is down 2.9%. Platinum is down 2.3%. I metal's just taking a freaking hit, except copper, which is up a point and a half. Uh, let's see, indices. Apparently, we're all saved. <clears throat> Biden be praised, I guess. I don't know. We don't really know what the hell's going on. But uh, Dow futures are up 5.3%. I haven't seen a move like this since... Oh, whatever. I was thinking of the uh, <clears throat> South Park episode, but there's no need to go into that. S&P futures are up 3.56%. Uh, NASDAQ futures are up a, smi- a meh, five, it was, was it uh, 0.5%. S&P mini is up damn near 7%. Holy shit. Wow. So Dow futures looks like the opening price is going to be uh, just south of 30,000, 29,699. I'll bet your ramp capital is just uh, turning, just just doing wheelies in the wheelchair, man. Bitcoin, talk about real money here, $15,751. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, the idiots that were in my feed this morning and yesterday are probably not having a good time with this. We'll get to that when we go to the train wrecked. 
I have a low is going to be over at hit BTC, uh, 15,527 bucks. And was that, yeah, $751 or 15,751 was my high. I don't know where it's coming in from. What I do know is that 27, 273,000 transactions have occurred in the last 24 hours. That's almost, uh, let's see. 11,400 transactions on average per hour. Oh, only 1.8 million BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. I'll bet the mempool is cleared out. 78,000 BTC are being sent on average every hour. Uh, The average transaction value is 6.85 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.029 BTC, which is 450 bucks. Block times are considerably lower this morning, 9 minutes and 14 seconds. 0.69 0.69 BTC have been taken in fees in a per block basis and 107 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. That's about 10% of the entirety of the block reward. So that would include subsidy plus fees. So the entire, the, the subsidies that were produced in the last 24 hours are 975 uh, Bitcoin. So 107 Bitcoin were added to that. So, you know, we're, we're, It's not that we're close to, you know, getting to a fee market that's going to completely replace the subsidy, but, you know, it's got to happen and it's going to happen. And we're not going to have to worry about it because we're going to be able to batch lightning transactions like hundreds of them into one transaction. And instead of a hundred transaction costing five bucks a piece, it's going to cost five dollars for all of them. And people will go, well, the fee market is going to die. No, it's not. More people are going to use it and you'll have batching of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of transactions where the blocks on the main chain will become full with transactions that are all batched. It's going to happen. I am not worried about this shit in the least. Hash rate is at 122.225 exahashes per second. That is a loss of 2.29% of the hash rate in the last 24 hours. Ethereum, who gives a shit? Bcash, who gives a shit? Litecoin is at 61.46. I don't care about BSV. Ethereum Classic is at $5.18. And the real story is Dogecoin, 0.028. Okay, no, the real story isn't Dogecoin. I, I just, you know, hey, I like the dog. 37,000 transactions in the last 24 hours puts it on top of Ethereum Classic on, and definitely on top of Bcash, uh, which, if, okay, if you want to know, Bcash is trading at 271 bucks. Ethereum is going for $456, so it's got its rally going on. And BSV, despite the fact that it's a complete and utter dumpster fire shit show, is trading at 165 bucks. But, you know, hey, shitcoin's going to shitcoin. Clark Moody, what do you got to say about the price? 15612 <clears throat> we have, oh, good Lord. Yeah, we cleared cleared the uh, the various mempools in the world are now clear. There, I mean, well, 11 blocks are chilling out waiting to be mined, but it seems clear that over the weekend we got rid of all the transactions and now we're chewing on some new ones. 2,894 transactions are in those 11 or just switched over to 12 blocks waiting to clear. Lightning Network, we have 1,036.5 BTC in the Lightning Network, but the capacity is $16.2 million in liquidity. Oh, oh, oh. oh total, total nodes, uh, 7,525. We have 35,459 channels in the Lightning Network. Tor capacity is staying stable 50.2%. 520.57 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is running over 
2,513 Tor Lightning nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Start this one off with the trigger warning. If you're triggered by the United States election, do not listen to the following story. I repeat, trigger warning, do not listen to the following story about elections. Okay, well, it's more about crypto and shit like that, but still, Andrew Thurman is going to tell us how, as U.S. election dust settles, crypto traders and analysts eye a new administration. Believe it or not, I don't know what the hell happened to the election. Honestly, I really don't care about either one of these you know, uh, senile old men, but hey, we're got, we got, we were either going to deal with Orange Man or we were going to deal with hair sniffing Biden. I don't, just, I honestly, I think we're all hosed from that side of the world, which is why Bitcoin, uh, this is out of Cointelegraph, by the way, while some in the community continue to question the outcome of the United States presidential election, mainstream media outlets and the Associated Press have definitively called the race for former vice president and current president-elect Joe Biden. Oh, I'm sorry, Biden. But with uncertainty out of the way, uh, traders and analysts are now looking to determine what a Biden administration will mean for cryptocurrencies, and they appear to have come to a loose consensus that a president who says nothing about crypto is preferable to a president who actively disparages it. Kuao Wang, okay, Q-I-A-O. Please, somebody tell me how to pronounce that. Wow, Wang, the lead at Decentralized Finance Accelerator DeFi Alliance, cheered Trump's loss, noting that the president had tweeted negatively about Bitcoin and Libra in the past. I don't mind the disparagement of Libra. By the way, this is me talking personally. But yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't happy that, that Trump went after uh, Bitcoin. Not that, it really, not that it really matters. Meanwhile, investor Mike Novogratz concurred that a democratic administration would be good for crypto, saying that an ongoing stimulus program would bolster Bitcoin's anti-inflationary narrative. Uh, that's true, though. At a macro level, Cointelegraph has previously reported that an incoming Biden, uh, sorry, Biden administration may bolster markets as uncertainty settles and hopes for additional stimulus run high. But likewise, these efforts could crypto uh, cripple cryptocurrencies via a stronger dollar There has also been widespread speculation concerning the crypto inclinations of key appointees in the forthcoming administration. Compound General Counsel Jake Chervinsky noted that whoever President-elect Biden nominates to posts will be more important than incoming president's personal opinions. Wow, that's a mouthful. To that end, Politico first reported that former CFTC chairman and Obama appointee Gary Gensler, or Gensler, best known for his hardline enforcement of Wall Street regulation in the wake of 2008 financial crisis, would be a part of Biden's transition team. Gensler has spoken positively about Bitcoin in the past. Major outlets also reported two weeks ago that economist Lael Brainyard, the former Federal Reserve governor who led an MIT joint effort to research CBDCs as a frontrunner for Treasury Secretary, for all the guesswork, however, U.S. stock market open come Monday will ultimately paint a clearer picture for speculators, said one popular Twitter trader. Oh, my God. This is completely inside. They Okay. This is the way that Cointelegraph is ending this piece. And God, God bless them. Said one popular Twitter trader, and there's a tweet from Inverse Bra, who says Monday is coming. 
if you don't know who Inverse Bra is, if you're not following Inverse Bra, and that's at I-N-V-E-R-S-E-B-R-A-H, also goes by the name of Starbust. Uh, Little Green Wassie, there's an entire language and a way to speak when it comes to the small tings. But if you don't follow Inverse Bra, you honestly are missing out on a whole bunch of laughs. The guy is just as funny as can be. I don't know if it's a guy or what, but dude, Inverse Bra. Follow Inverse Bra today. FTX lets Trump trolls hold on to U.S. election bets until February. Uh, Matthew DeSalvo going to tell us about how prediction markets aren't really all that predictive, I guess. I don't know. Well, let's, let's just do this. This is from Decrypt. Trading exchange FTX is allowing those who bet on Trump to win the 2020 election to hold on to their bets until February following a flurry of complaints. If Trump returns to the White House next year, seemingly unlikely, those who bet on him will win, <clears throat> to win will receive their money and will not lose the potential millions bet on him to win. Quote, we have decided just this once to allow Trump and Trump win to be held for free until February 1st, 2021. If by then Trump has been unambiguously reelected to the presidency, they will pay out $1. Trump and Trump win are futures contracts that represents bets based on the United States election. If Trump won the election, the price of the contract would reach $1, but contract would expire and bettors could cash out. But if Trump lost, so those contracts become worthless. Now, FTX added a link allowing those who bet to extend their bets for free until February on the off chance that Trump manages to retain control over his presidency, they could cash out. A previous rule stated that hodlers had to pay $0.1 to extend the contract. The exchange bent the rules because of the divisive nature of the election, despite Joe Biden being declared a winner by, well, nearly everyone. <laughs> There's so much chicanery going on. <laughs> Nobody knows. Some users have complained about us following the rules. This is a quote. And instead, one is to modify the rules to favor their preferred candidate. FTX yesterday wrote on Twitter, leaders around the world have started to congratulate President-elect Biden and the Associated Press logged the result of the election on the blockchain. I think I've got something about that here. Uh, but since the result, Donald Trump has claimed that the election was a sham and has demanded a recount. He is pushing for lawsuits in a number of states to take on Biden. Uh, Biden. This led to those who made bets on Trump winning the election with FTX to claim that the result is not in yet. Quote, we have this once given it to the trolls. We regret deeply doing this. In the future, we will not do this. Oh, God. that That's a meme for the books. Uh, that's a direct quote. Check it out. We we have this once given in to the trolls. We regret deeply doing this. In the future, we will not do this. That's so meme-worthy. Quote, we will never again allow users baseless complaints to influence the outcome of prediction market contracts on FTX. End quote. But for now, those who bet on Trump <laughs> to win will be crying into their crypto cornflakes. Okay. So you've already, FTX has completely compromised their entire ethic. Just so you know, if, if you didn't realize what just happened, uh, FTX has completely compromised their entire ethic in the exact same way that Ethereum compromised their entire ethic by uh, reversing the, the blockchain after the DAO hack. Okay. Um, yeah, never again. Well, the fact that you could do it this once means that you will do it again. 
and again and again. And this is why Bitcoin. So cred customers demand answers after platform files for bankruptcy. <laughs> Rug pull. Turner Wright, can you tell us about it from Cointelegraph? This was sometime yesterday. United States-based cryptocurrency lending service Cred filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on Saturday, leaving many customers searching for solutions to get their funds. You're not getting your funds. It's a rug pull. According to court documents, the legal team for Cred CEO Daniel Schatt, who shat all over your ass, filed bankruptcy papers for the company in the District of Delaware on November the 7th. Cred listed its estimated assets at between 50 and $100 million and its estimated liabilities between 100 and $500 million. <laughs> Rug pull! In an official statement, the company said it had filed for Chapter 11 in an attempt to maximize the value of its platform for its creditors. Mm, yes, right. The bankruptcy filing comes following a tw October 28th announcement that the platform would be suspending fund inflows and outflows for two weeks. Literally, it says two weeks. If you get the inside joke on that, it should not be lost on others. Cred stated on Twitter that the suspension was not due to any criminal investigation, but that the platform was working with authorities to, quote, help investigate irregularities in the handling of specific corporate funds by a perpetrator, citing a fraudulent incident as the cause. Shortly before the announcement, cryptocurrency wallet and trading platform Uphold terminated its partnership with Cred. Cointelegraph reported that at least one Uphold user had been having technical problems with the platform's Cred Earn program allegedly caused by Cred. Following the dissolution of the Uphold partnership, the user claimed that he had roughly $140,000 of Bitcoin and other assets locked in his Cred account. Cred has said none of its systems, customer accounts, or customer information were compromised in this fraudulent incident, but has not issued an update on Twitter or pur pur purportedly by email to its users since October the 30th regarding assets accessed using the platform. Jesus, it's only November the 9th, guys. <sighs> Rug pull, dude. Quote, we just want to know that our funds are safe, said one Twitter user. Please address this on your next update, not an announcement to the next announcement, end quote. Sorry, you've lost your money, one Twitter user. The platform has now updated its website to include information on the Chapter 11 filing, but many users did not get the message. Crypto Twitter user Awesome Nada claimed to have 7,250 Ripple, roughly $1,829 at the time of publication, deposited on their last transaction before fund inflows and outflows were suspended. Quote, I want to know how this can be resolved. Stop shitcoining. That's how you could resolve it. I need my money back today. Well, you're not ever going to get it. Much less today. Users made similar claims of losing access to thousands of cripple and other assets without hearing if their funds were safe during the bankruptcy process. Narrator, they're not. While both fund inflows and outflows will seemingly remain inaccessible as cred goes through the Chapter 11 process, other exchanges have also been giving users reasons to see the meaning behind not your keys, not your coins. Digital asset withdrawals have remained closed on crypto exchange OKX since October the 16th, amid rumors the police have detained its founder. You got jacked and you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry. You lost your money. We tried to warn you, but this shit goes on and on and on. Every time we try to warn you about getting into other coins, you point at us and laugh and call us maximalists, and then this shit happens. Privacy coin grin is victim of 51% attack. 
I tried to tell you, lots of people tried to tell you, you didn't listen, you're going to get hosed. Kevin Reynolds going to tell us about the hosening. Privacy-centric blockchain network Grin is undergoing a 51% attack, an event in which a miner or miners acquires more than 51% of the network's mining hash power and takes control, according to a notice at the bottom of the Grin Protocols website. Okay, so again, this is... Kevin Reynolds, he's writing this for Coindesk. When was it though? Oh, November the 8th, so yesterday. According to twominers.com, which is responsible for 19.1% of the current hash power on Grin, the unknown miner grabbed control of 57.4% of the network's hash power. While the attack is underway, the protocol is warning users to wait for extra confirmations on transactions for payment finality. Grin, which was the first cryptocurrency to, to test privacy protocol Mimblewimble, drew an estimated $100 million in venture capital to mine it, was once called Bitcoin 2.0. Grin coins were down, or I'm sorry, Bitcoin 2.0 price was down 2.23% to 23.5 cents at press time. That's $0.235. Yeah, Bitcoin 2.0. I never really get tired of seeing this shit happen, you know, and, and it's not the schadenfreude part of it. It's that every single time this happens, it makes the maximalist position look more and more and more and more incredible. Narrator, they were always correct. CBDC revolution is coming in three years, says, says Bitcoin naysayer Rubini. It's the great Rubini and his three ring circus, man. Cointelegraph's Helen Parts is going to tell us about it. Noriel Rubini, an award-winning economist and known skeptic of Bitcoin, is confident that central bank digital currencies are the future of money. According to Rubini, global CBDCs like the Digital One are capable of replacing major financial services and cryptocurrencies in the near future. Quote, they're going to be crowding out digital payment systems or in the private sector, starting with cryptocurrencies that are not really currencies, the economist said. In a November 7th interview with Yahoo Finance, Rubini predicted that a CBDC-powered revolution is coming as soon as in three years. Quote, so not only that you don't need crypto, you don't even need Venmo. You don't need a bank account. You don't even need a check. And the big revolution we're going to see in the next three years is going to be central bank digital currencies, end quote. Yet don't, don't gag just yet, okay? Furthermore, The well-known economist is confident the cryptocurrency itself is a misnomer because a currency needs to provide a unit of account. Quote, nothing is priced in Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. God, that's an old one. That's an old piece of FUD. Uh, He says, or he claimed that crypto does not provide either a single numerator. uh, uh, Yeah, numerator or a scalable means of payment bullshit. However, Rubini did admit that Bitcoin could serve as a store of value which is a major function of money alongside a unit of account and a medium of exchange. Quote, it's maybe a partial store of value because unlike thousands of other what I call shit coins, one of us, Anna, it cannot be so easily debased because there is at least an algorithm that decides how much the supply of Bitcoin raises over time because for most of those other ones, literally is done ad hoc and they're being debased faster than what the Fed is doing, end quote. Rubini may be closer than he thinks. Just saying. Rubini has also criticized decentralized finance, one of the major trends in the crypto market in 2020. Quote, DeFi was vaporware from its onset, the economists argue in late 20 or September of 2020. 
adding that the industry is, quote, totally faltering as blockchain was always the most overhyped technology in human history. I got to tell you, this you're probably not going to like this, but I have a tendency to kind of agree with Noriel Rubini on most of this. However, I think he's actually wrong in critical points. It seems that it has been made clear that uh, central banks who are going to be issuing the CBDCs have no intention of opening up direct bank accounts with individuals, meaning when he says that uh, you won't even need a bank account, yes, you will. You will absolutely need a bank account, and they will absolutely tell you by blacklisting and whitelisting who you can and cannot do business with. You will never be able to send WikiLeaks a donation from a CBDC. That will never happen, ever, ever, ever. The only way that you're going to get money to anybody you want anywhere in the world for whatever reason you want, you will use Bitcoin. Because if you think CBDCs are going to all of a sudden have the qualities of Bitcoin, you are fooling yourself. Okay? So I know Noriel's wrong about that one. <clears throat> Not even needing Venmo? Probably. I can, I can agree with that. The fact that he is actually starting to see Bitcoin as a potential store of value, I think I think we should sit back and ponder that and maybe consider reaching out to that side of Noriel Rubini and reinforcing that uh, behavior from him. Sorry, it's behavioral psychology. It, it, it happens. Hey, how about a train wreck? All right, you, you, you've got major carnage in this train wreck. We got a twofer. <clears throat> we'll start with Professor Steve Hankey. God, I need a Hankey. Who on April the 9th, 2013, okay, long time ago. This, so keep that in mind. Says Bitcoin is vulnerable to currency competition like all others. Just because Nakamoto came up with a great algorithm doesn't mean someone else can't. Okay, so that was retweeted yesterday by Michael Goldstein, and he says Bitcoin is up 6,536% since this tweet was made. But that's not where, that's not where the engine and all the cars run off its tracks. Michael Arouet decided to respond to Michael Goldstein and said, Tulips also had an unbelievable run. Contrary to Bitcoin, Tulips had at least some temporary intrinsic value. Tulips lasted for somewhere between six months and a year and a half. We're 11 years in. Michael, welcome to the Daily Train Wrecked. There's your smoldering pile. Idiocy notwithstanding, we shall now have a joke. Dad says, jokes says, if a pig loses its voice, does it become disgruntled? Oh my, yeah, that's a good one. Good. Okay, so animals. Uh, speaking of animals, I gotta let y'all know what happened uh, yesterday. Okay, or not yesterday, uh, Saturday, in fact. Um, 
I had to dispatch one of my chickens. And it was because said chicken was indeed a rooster and a very aggressive rooster at that. So here's the story. I have or had six chickens and then there were five. Um, it just got me thinking about a, a, a book, I, a children's book that I want to write called, um, I'll do that later. Anyway, this one was so aggressive that it had basically destroyed all the feathers on the back of this one particular chicken. Uh, this other chicken was a coach, and uh, the one in question that I had to dispatch was a Rhode Island Red. I have a mixed flock because I'm trying to figure out which ones, and I'm, I'm settling on the Orpington species, uh, uh, subspecies. Uh, they seem to be really docile. Anyway, this one had got to the point where all the feathers on the back of this one chicken, because that's how chickens have babies, is the... Brewster mounts the female and stands on her back. And I don't know if you've ever seen chicken claws. Uh, they're nothing to sneeze at. I mean, the, the talons on these sons of bitches are freaking scary, dude. I mean, especially when they're full grown and as big as this bird was. Anyway, got to the point where it started drawing, where he started drawing blood on her back. And I'm like, I can't do this shit anymore. So I had to kill it. Now, how, how to do this? Uh, I wish I had done it better. I wish that I had, you know, had more skill, but this is the first animal that I've ever actually killed by my bare hands. I, I, I don't like killing. I'm probably never going to enjoy it. I'm really thankful that I won't enjoy it, but the way that I did it, because some people have asked, is the best way that, that I discovered um, for me, it seemed, was to do what's called a kill cone. And it's literally a large cone. The one that I have is made out of metal. And this got a, you know, a cone is a smaller, you know, one end is smaller than the other and it's a cylinder. Okay. So the way this works is the small end is, is below the big end and you hang it, either nail it to a tree or a post or something so that it's like, you know, kind of head, you know, head high. And you get the chicken in question that you're going to dispatch and you pick it up and you put it head first you know, upside down into the cone so that at the bottom of the cone, the head and neck is coming through and the body of the chicken is above it, All right? So the cone kind of compresses, you know, as the chicken's weight drags it further into the cone, it compresses its feet and the wings so that it really can't struggle. And it also has a tendency to, has a calming effect on the bird. At that point, one of two things can be done. And the way I did it, was what I thought was supposed to be done, which is you get a very sharp knife and I have a surgical steel sharp knife. And it's, I mean, it's, I, I bought it for the occasion on Saturday. And you slit the jugglers on both sides of the neck and you try not to cut the windpipe because if you do it right, and I didn't, <clears throat> that's, that's the pity here, is that the bird bleeds out very, very quickly. This bird did not bleed out very, very quickly which is why I know I missed not, I mean, it was bleeding, but not like it should have been. And I had to finish the job with a pair of uh, branch clippers. And I hate to admit this, but this is just, you know, this is just the God's honest truth. If you're going to do chickens, chances are good that you're going to end up with a rooster. If that rooster ends up being as malevolent as this son of a bitch is, you have to get rid of it. Now you can shoot it with a shotgun and just ditch its body in the trash can. But my, you know, my wife and I agreed that that's not for us. That wasn't responsible. 
We had spent the time raising the chicken. We had spent the time feeding the chicken. And we had spent the time lamenting the fact that it had, in fact, was a rooster. So not only did I dispatch the chicken, and yeah, I botched it, but I mean, once I got the the neck clipped off, um, everything went really smoothly after that. And I feel bad. And I'm I'm, I'm probably never going to forget that experience because I fucked it all up. Hey, this is how we learn, right? I did dunk it in 150 degree water, like the whole carcass, and pick, picked it up, dunked it again, picked it up, dunked it again. It was like basically kind of making sure that the water got all the way to the skin, but not so much and not so long that it cooked it. I'm going to say about, I think it was underwater for a total of 20 to 30 seconds. And the feathers just start, you can just peel them off with your hands. It's actually pretty easy. After you peel it, do not gut this thing first. Keep the guts in, okay? After you've got as many of the feathers off as you can possibly get, I clip the wings off, clip the feet off, and then slit the belt, uh, the uh, right underneath the breastbone, right by its where you know its its asshole is essentially. And you make a hole open enough, and you put your hand in there, and you pull all the guts out. Amazingly enough, the amount of guts that are in a chicken don't seem to be enough guts to actually fill the size of cavity. It's very odd. When I pulled all the guts out and I looked at it, I'm like, there seems like there's a lot more room in the cavity than what is, you know, required for these guts. In either event, Fluffy was eaten as chicken soup last night and, or not Fluffy, Autumn was the chicken's name. Never name your chickens. This, my daughter named him. But um, Autumn was delicious. Autumn made a very fine Autumn chicken stew or a chicken soup. Um, oh my God. And I knew for the first time in my life that that chicken had never been frozen. There was no way it could be frozen. For the first time, I probably had meat that had never been frozen. And that's just sad. The richness of the broth, I can't even, I can't even begin to contemplate. The meat, however, eh, the white meat, the breast meat was pretty good. But the dark meat on the legs, pretty tough and stringy. Why? Because it was an older bird. I didn't kill it at 16 to 18 weeks. And not a meat bird. It was supposed to be for, for laying eggs, but of course it didn't because it turns out to be a rooster. Anyway, so that was the adventure in uh, adventure in farming. My apologies to you, Autumn. I didn't mean to uh, make your last, your one and only bad day so as, as bad as it was. But it was, honestly. You only had one bad day. And someday I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.